This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time at Core Brain Journal. And, you know, we are very frequently, the reason we do Core Brain Journal very simply is to bring up the public awareness of what's going over in the mental health field instead of it being so doggone mysterious and so puzzling and wherein so many people do so little effective communication. It's amazing. So we're bringing thought leaders from really all over the world to bridge that gap between knowing and not knowing. And one of the things we want to do is bring in people who've experienced real issues in their lives and have experienced stigma, suffered mental illness, or in the process of recovery. We think it's important to look at all of these questions from a number of different angles, uh, not only from the world thought leaders, and we've had some really cool people on here talking about some what seem like pretty arcane subjects, but listeners love it. They're getting a lot out of this material. This particular person today is Linda Baron katz and Linda Baron katz is a person more on the, if you will, patient side, but she's written a book. She has been in a situation of Surviving Mental Illness. She's written two books. Uh, one is Surviving Mental Illness, My Story. And another one is Peter and Lisa, a mental illness children's story, looking at that perspective. So we want to thank you very much, Linda, for coming on board. Look forward to talking to you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm going to read a little bit about Linda in just a second. But first of all, before we get started, let me just mention that we are supported by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders that provide improved, targeted mind science details through laboratory analysis. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond guesswork. And the real important thing beyond that is they also provide multiple complementary training webinars for both the public and medical providers on how to use the data effectively. That is the theme at Core Brain Journal. So you want to check out their website. They regularly at this URL that I'm going to give you in just a minute, they rotate weekly different complementary labs that you can put your email in and get a complementary lab. And these labs range anywhere from, you know, could be $219 to, to uh, around $300. So this is a big deal. And they want to do that because they want to, obviously, they're interested in building their list, but that's not the point. They want people to get to know them. And that site that you're going to in just a minute with this URL is a way that you can get in contact with them and perhaps download a free test. So the site is Great Plains Laboratory with an S, plainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ for our site, Core Brain Journal. They'll know you came from us. Why not do that? Thank you so much for coming on board, folks. And thank you, Great Plains, for working with us here. Linda Baron Katz was raised as a modern Orthodox Jew where mental illness became a factor throughout her life. She had started with her mother when she was in the fifth grade, and her mother had suffered a nervous breakdown and was targeted with acute depression. This gave Linda and her family a huge amount of stress, as it would in any family. As she was growing up into her adulthood, her mother's illness also continued to affect her in ways that she, too, would become, indeed, a depressed person herself. Linda had difficulty making friends, developing positive relationships, maintaining employment, 
After she graduated from college, she also suffered from a mental illness and was diagnosed as bipolar disorder. So through the years, she was faced with many challenges that were difficult to overcome. She worked hard to achieve recovery. As part of her recovery from that mental illness, she became active and volunteered for a variety of mental health organizations, which we very strongly support. Linda became a member of NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, formerly called the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. And she's published articles about her life in New York City Voices, a newspaper for people with mental illness to share their personal recovery stories as well. Both of these agencies helped fight against the stigma, which is what we're going to talk about. Today, Linda is happily married. She's a certified peer specialist that works with OL's Mental Health Crisis Respite Program and is an author who published a book. This one I was telling you about just a moment ago, Surviving Mental Illness, My Story, which won a silver medal award and reader's favorite for best nonfiction autobiography, came in first place and won the Life Journeys Award from Reader's Views. Through this book, she describes all of her challenges that she dealt with while having a mental illness and how she found her way back towards establishing wellness by staying mentally and physically strong. So, Linda, thank you so much for joining us. That's a brief introduction. Now, let's take a moment to just talk about how this whole experience turned inside out for you right from the beginning. And we want to know what the problem was, how the problems were, just so we could walk through them a little bit. And more importantly, we really want to know how you got yourself out of the jams that you were in when you were a child and then grew up with this difficulty with your mother. So start wherever you'd like to, Linda. Well, it all started with my mother. She got sick when I was 10 years old. She developed a mental illness. And I believe she was hospitalized, my mother, for about two to three months. She hated to take her medications. Sometimes she would throw them away in the toilet or forget them on purpose. And my parents had huge arguments about it. Her psychiatrist didn't think the marriage would last. They was even a point where they talked about getting divorced, but my father sacrificed it all because he knew he couldn't leave my mother alone. And it was very hard on me as a child growing up. And um, throughout my childhood, I became depressed. And as I grew up, I had difficulty making friends, getting close with people. I couldn't bring people over to my house because I was afraid with my mother how she would be sociably. And I had to keep my mouth quiet about the whole thing. So she was just really odd. You you wouldn't be able to explain what was going on. Yeah. A lot of us have difficulties with our parents in which, and I wonder if my kids think this about me sometimes, but, you know, the issue is how do you explain these people? You got some friends over, and your parents are behaving a certain way. And what do you do with them? But yours was more serious than that. Now, let me ask you this question: In addition to your mother not being available emotionally, which would have been severely traumatic itself, and not supporting you as a growing up little girl, was she? In addition, did you have other specific abuse patterns, or is it more the neglect and the being alone and not knowing where to turn and getting no guidance? What would you say happened there? 
Well, my father had to take control of the family. And when I mean control, he took control. He was a domineering one. And we had to listen to whatever he said. And throughout growing up, my father gave me and my mom a lot of emotional abuse, especially for me. I mean, I was afraid to talk about he didn't like the fact that I educated the public about mental illness. He didn't always thought I was waving an open flag about it. Even after he you grew up. To keep, yeah, as I grew up. And um, he didn't like that. And I had trouble, difficulty talking to him about it because he was very um, prejudiced type of person. And... Um, even though he knew I had an illness and he knew my mom had an illness and he did everything that was right, taking us to the right psychiatrist to get us treated for it. But he was a very hard person to talk to, my father. So, you know, your issue yeah. is something, you know, as people are listening to this, it sounds sad. and It's a bit overwhelming to tell you the truth. But then when you actually think about it, this is so common. I mean, you're experience is is really more commonplace than most people recognize. And I think people who are listeners to Corbrain Journal know very well that this this kind of thing, and the reason I had you on, even though you're still somewhat beat up about the whole thing, is because people have this kind of thing happening as a stigma with parents who are mixed up about the illness of the child today all the time. It's not once in a while. We hear it every single day in the office. The parents didn't want him to take medicine. They didn't want him to see a psychiatrist. This is wrong. That's wrong. My Aunt Tilly had a problem, and she deteriorated, so we're not going to do anything with you. Psychiatry doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, this is the reason. The reason you're on is really to help us all begin to really articulate the problem that's so present with stigma and complete, forgive my expression, direct expression, ignorance. I mean, the ignorance is profound. And and what happens is it's going to be real easy for a core brain journal to be a success because we're in a sea of ignorance. I mean, somebody, and I'm throwing life preservers out there and it's not me, it's the people I'm talking to. I, I don't throw a lot of life preservers, but the people I'm talking to do. And what you're doing in a way, sharing this emotionally provocative and, and terrible situation with me and our listeners is you're saying, hey guys, this is a reality that goes on, even in a well-educated family, you know, where you did your tour. You finished college, I guess, did you not? Yes, I graduated college. I got my bachelor's degree. Did you major in English then, or what happened? <laughs> <laughs> my English, I grew up in America, so my English has been pretty good. Oh, oh no, I, I wasn't speak. I wasn't joking you. I was thinking you're a writer and I I made an easy leap over to that a writer may have wanted to do English when she was in undergraduate oh, school. No, no, no. No, my major was economics. Oh, I got you. Okay. My major was economics, my minor was sociology, and I really thought at the time when I graduated college the business world was for me. But it wasn't, and I got sick over that because yeah. I had difficulty finding work. And now I'm in the field that I love. By the way, I no longer work for OHEL. Oh, you don't? Okay, yeah. I just um, recently resigned my job with OHEL because 
I wasn't in the right fit position. I got there. you. Well, that's a. Mm-hmm. It's in New York City, and does it work just with the Jewish population, or how does that work? What's going on? It was working with Jewish population, but the thing is, I was traveling from Queens to Brooklyn, and there were times when they didn't have any clients, and I had no work to do. Then you want to work. Um, you wanted. You wanted. I wanted to be a peer specialist, and yes. that's what I was supposed to be. Yes, but I see. They, it was with a respite program, and they only allowed one client in the residence. And sometimes when they didn't have a client, they had no work for me to do. And mm-hmm. I had to show up there anyway. And I was schlepping myself from Queens to Brooklyn. I said, this is not worth it. Schlepping is a New so, York term, I noticed. So they use schlepping yeah, a lot. In, they use the yeah, schlepping a lot in Philadelphia, yeah. too. <laughs> Yeah. Most of my so, friends in Philadelphia uh, uh, were Jewish. We use the word schlep a lot. Yeah. So right now I'm going into a supported employment program at Well Life Network where they can create a job for me within oh. their agency. Oh, cool. Looking into that. So what we're talking about now is your recovery in your life as an adult. But what would you say would be regarding stigma and regarding disrespect. Your father was obviously disrespectful and, and, and was encouraging a, if you'll forgive the expression, a stigmatic approach because he was, he was really um, separating himself from you. Your mother was separated emotionally for her own problems and your father was uh, denigrating you on a regular basis based on his own preoccupation with what mental illness was and, and what these problems were. And, and your father was taking a position that he knew what was good for you when he had no idea what was good for you. Right. Yeah, that that's very, very commonplace. That's not odd. That's not like, oh, my gosh, this is a terrible story. This is like every day across the United States. Why? Because people are taking off on the fashion show diagnosis. They know that medications are very frequently written imprecisely, and they know that the diagnosis, the whole diagnostic process needs to be worked on. And so then they disdain the work that has been done and the good news is we have the predominant number of psychiatrists. Most of the psychiatrists are very knowledgeable and doing the best they can, and they're concerned, and they're helpful folks. And when, when issues arise, they seem to just get magnified. And, uh, oh, my gosh, there's another example where this isn't working properly. And they do that. It's, it's good sales. I mean, it sells newspapers, I know. It sells in the, you know, New York Times loves it. They just it's sort of like uh, the way they handle it is uh, very much – Selling a newspaper, you know, it's, it's journalism. So if somebody has a problem, they'll jump, they'll jump right on it, and uh, we'll get into that. I think New York Times isn't the only paper that does that. So the issue is because we're a population of individuals who are largely misinformed, are inadequately informed about mental health. The stigma is profound because it's almost like a racial thing. And being Jewish, you can get an idea of what I'm talking about there. Of course, being Jewish in New York is not a bad thing, but you know, if you were Jewish out in in some other part of the country, it might be difficult because then it would be a religious thing and people would have a reaction to it. And so then you got the stigma in one sense, not in not in New York, but you have the religion thing, then you have the mental illness thing. And people want to put individuals like yourself, unfortunately, in boxes and they can somehow deal with them if they just disdain them and push them away instead of really taking a look at what's actually going on in that family with that person and with that, with that mother and what's going on with the kids in the family. So did you have any brothers or sisters as well? Funny you should ask, 
I do have a sister. She is not in the book, even though I wanted her to be in the book, but she demanded not to be in the book. So I had to create a fake cousin named Sharon in the book. Oh, I got you. Mm -hmm. So she is seriously mentally sick. Mm -hmm. She's in very much denial of her illness. And now she's in trouble with adult protective services, mm. the housing court. She mm. hasn't paid her maintenance bills in months. Well, see, this is what happens when you have This is a, what happens. She is we, very, yeah. has so much stigma and she's so stubborn. Yeah, she's locked in. Doesn't want help from anyone. Yeah. So anything. she's been, it's like entering into... Her perception, based on partly on the trauma with her father, is that the mental health system is so completely unbalanced that to submit to it would mean harm. And this is what happens. Again, we have a good outpatient practice. I don't work in the hospital anymore. I worked in the hospital practice for years where you'd have people who were very deteriorated and acute would come in. But these are people who kind of street-wise, everyday folks are in their regularly despairing with what's going on in psychiatry, talking about how terrible this and that is and how they really don't want to talk to me and they don't want any medication. I mean, it's just that they have to come in just because they're under complete duress and they don't know what to do. So listen, let me take a minute. I'm going to ask you another question in just a minute after we take a break here, Linda. One of the things I want to ask you about is the whole situation of how you actually turned yourself around. That's what everybody here wants to hear. And we want to talk, even if you have like one, two or three steps from your book, that would help us understand the what would be a value that get, would be gained by reading the book and what you learned in your own life from having been that old blues song, you've been walked on and stepped on so many times, I'm sorry to say that last footprint is mine. I forget who sang that one, but that's, you know, you've been, you've definitely been uh, under the heel for, for many years. So when we come back, I'm going to ask you how you got yourself together. That's what we're going to do and right now. Folks, we'll be back in just a minute. We're going to take a break. Today, the world of mind science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professions. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSight for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot. They get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http 
greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. So Linda Baron Katz, here we are back again. Linda Baron Katz is the author of Surviving Mental Illness, My Story, and it really goes into how she really was on the recipient end of uh, so much abuse and uh, neglect, really. Neglect at the hands of her mother, abuse at the hands of her father. So, Linda, tell us this. When we, as we wind down here, we get a couple questions. Let's do something affirmative here. These are all negative, unhappy things. Let's talk. You're obviously doing a good job talking to me. You've got your, you've tightened your belt. You're walking down the street. You're going to do what you need to do to get better. You want to help others. And long distance high five to you up there in New York City. I'm, the issue then is how did you do it? What was the impetus for you? What, who took care of you? How did you learn what to do? Give us some highlights on that, if you will, please. Well, because my mom was already seeing a psychiatrist, my father thought it was a good I when I got sick for me to see my mother's psychiatrist. So his name was Dr. Nass, Dr. Jack Nass. And um, he really saved my life. He saved my mother's and mine. How do you spell his last and name then, Linda? N-A-F? N-A-S-S. Oh, N-A-S-S. Gotcha. Sorry. Yeah. Credit where credit is due. Yeah. And there was one thing that he said to me that will remain with me for the rest of my life. What was that? You are not your mother. Mm. You are you. And that was the clarifying moment of my life toward my recovery. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't built up to be my mother who hated to work, who hated to do things. I could still work. And I believe that working was the essential thing to my recovery. Interesting point. I became involved in organizations like NAMI, volunteers. I became involved in supported employment programs. I went to things like Vestment, and they hooked me up with programs to help people with disabilities find employment. Now, stop right there. Tell us how you do that. Let's take a little moment. Let's do a video camera, metaphor camera of you in the office and somebody coming in. What do you do? Do you interview the person? Do you do presentations? How do you educate that person and how do you help them get down the road? I I know it's complex. You can't do it in a couple sentences, but give us a little picture of what goes on. Well, you get recommended by someone to an employment program. So I called this organization called Well Life Network and I told them I was interested in getting a peer specialist type of job. And he said, you've come to the right place. So I went in two weeks ago to fill out the necessary paperwork that they requested of me. And tomorrow, I'm going to them to meet with the vessel counselor at their office. Now, which counselor? It's called Vocational Rehabilitation Counselor. Oh, I got you good. Now I understand. Thank you. Yeah. It's, they call it Access VR right now. Oh, I got they you. They changed name from VESA to Access VR. So in this situation, so, you're the client going in and getting some help from them. 
Okay. Yeah. So that's one way. They come and help you. They help you structure what you would do in a job, how you can handle the employer, yeah. what you could do in an interview, and yeah. how it might work for you personally with your own life mission and what you want to do with your life. Yeah. I showed them my resume. They happened to like it very much. And that they said to me they're thinking of creating a job for me within their agency. Oh, isn't that good? Yeah. So what fun. I said, that's fine. And I met with the caseworker. I told them what I didn't like and what I do like and the things that I can do and what things I can't do. So I basically gave them pros and cons of me, how I see myself in the workplace and how I want things to be done in the workplace and how I can be flexible in the workplace given the opportunity, yes. so given the right to fit and the right position. Okay, so this so, is you working with them. Let me interrupt and take this next step because you're also volunteering, and I think the affirmative additional point for you is, yes, getting a job is, is of value to you, but the next level is your own experience with helping others and what you've learned from that experience and what you found difficult with that experience. Okay. In my last job, when I was a peer specialist, I worked with seniors who had mental illness, mental health struggles. And I mostly ran a lot of groups like wellness, recovery, addiction, goal setting, just about any type of group you can find. And basically <laughs> what I did was I advocated on their behalf and I helped them find senior centers that they could go to. I helped them find, I helped them discuss some of their problems that they were having with the other members. So were these residential I, placement things? No, this had not. This wasn't a residential place. It was more like a psychosocial club. Oh, I got you. Right. Yep. It was a psychosocial club built for seniors with mental illness. I see. Yeah. And it's such a shame that it's closing. It's shutting down because they really need this type of program. And I feel bad Yeah. because it's just a sad thing mm -hmm. and to see that happen. And um, now that's why I'm no longer working over there right now. Yeah, it just it fell off. Yeah. So what do you anticipate yeah. will be happening in this new job as we go to? What are you looking forward to using your experience? And what do you see when you use your experience with the people that you're working with, which is most effective? What is a, What are some of the most effective things that you find in what you've experienced helping, as I said a moment ago, the people you're working with? Well, I'm looking into doing more group work, doing teaching them more about recovery, helping their, with their goals and their dreams. I also like to help with help them get employment possibilities and help them with their interviewing skills and resume writing. I like that part of the job too. I also like also working in the community, educating them about my story and sharing about 
how it can relate to what they're going through right now. Gotcha. And give, yeah. giving them hope yeah. and build that in them. Well, that sounds fantastic. I mean, it's just great that you're out there and you're getting out of the house and you're going down the road and you're looking at some affirmative steps, not only for you, but for the people that you're working with. And you're really, you're really making a difference in, in other people's lives. Being a constructive mom, in a way, for people who have some uh, different levels of incapacity. You know what? A client, one client said to me, I remember this one client said to me that, uh, what do you need children for? We are your children. <laughs> yeah. It was such a cute saying. I really never thought of it in that way before because now I don't have children. And when you read my book, you'll know why. But it was such a nice thought because I never thought that my other peers, it could be as if I'm helping my own child yeah, get yeah. their life. Yeah. And which is what I'm doing with the peers, helping them get through their life goals. Well, Linda, you're an example for all of us in terms of picking ourselves up. And we've all been bounced on the realities of life. No matter what station you are in life, you get bounced. It's just the natural reality of change and circumstances and the people. You know, Different people have very much more primitive views of what needs to be done in their relationships with their fellow human beings. And the more primitive they are, the less respectful they are. And then there's pain behind that respect every time. And they have no idea what they're doing to another person. And, and because they really, in a way, don't care oftentimes, because they're so vulnerable and so beat up themselves, you know, there's this whole thing of turning the passive experience into an active experience and doing the same thing down the road. So, you know, your father was abusive to you. Many people, we've seen this happen, then pass that on and are abusive to other people. A person's disrespectful to you, then you go ahead through your life and master that passive experience of being disrespected upon to whatever, to then being disrespectful to other people. And that isn't what happens to you. You've turned it into 180. You've had the disrespect, you've accommodated to it, and you're doing what you can to be respectful of your fellow human beings and help them work down their own path and their own life mission. And I think you deserve a big, quiet, nevertheless, serious round of applause from the listeners that are listening to this story about you. And, and congratulations from all of us for, for hanging in there and being the person that you are. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So what I'm Linda, I'm just going to say, just to remind everybody here, what's going on is this person is Linda Baron Katz. She has two books out. They're going to be on the show notes, Surviving Mental Illness, My Story, Peter and Lisa, A Mental Illness Children's Story, which we didn't have time to get into today. But thank you so much for coming on board, Linda. We really appreciate you taking the time. And we really have to get out to the streets sometimes, folks, and really see what's going on. You know, you can live in a tower. We can talk about these very interesting new tools that we're talking about in some of these interviews. But here we've had a person who's in the street who picked herself up by her bootstraps and really figured out what she was going to do to actually not pay it back in a negative way, but pay it back in a very positive way for her fellow human being. So thanks again, Linda. Really appreciate you coming on board. It was a pleasure to be here. So you have a pleasant evening. Thank you. Bye now. You too. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. 
We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.